The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Pootie, Garage Mahal, popping off. All great. I don't know what popping off alliteration means. though. The alliteration was key, so that's good. I, I one day I will finally get the the good Baptist intro where it all starts with the same letter. Yeah, work on that, will you? I will. Yeah, I will. All right. How you doing? I, I, fi- I have five points. They're all great. I'm John Piper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. The yeah, sun has sun, finally come out where we are. The sun is shining. We had a great uh, Easter at the church. Uh, things are good. Things are good. Yeah. Easter at our church now is like. Seems like every person who lives in like a 50 mile radius attends our church now. It seems like, that way, yeah. It's packed. Kudos to the parking people. That's all I have to say. James Toshik, Paul Toshik, all the rest of you, you know who you are? Yeah. Me, Heroes. Me, um, Heroes. So since this podcast started, I don't think it's linked in any way, shape, or form, but I'm not going to say it's not. <laughs> it's so, in spite of. <laughs> <laughs> probably it is in spite of. We've gone from like small country church to like, Canada mega church that like we got big church problems now and we don't know how to handle them. So if you have any ideas about parking, feel free to email us. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But life is good. Rebels are good. We're the rebels rebel podcast coming from the fight, laugh, feast network. We would encourage you to download the app that cannot be canceled, but you can get this podcast wherever podcasts are found. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We got some uh, videos on there, including we got a lot of requests over our long hiatus which we will stop talking about after this episode. We got a lot of requests for us to repost our eschatology stuff. So that's all back on there. So the Eschatology 101, the Eschatology 201, they're back on there on our YouTube channel. So you can find those. And those for anybody who hasn't heard those before, Eschatology 101 was filmed right here in Garage Mahal. Actually, they both were. But Eschatology 101 was recorded, and it's basically me going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And then the uh, kind of uh, introducing the idea of partial preterism. And then eschatology 201 is sort of the in-your-face post-millennial eschatology, just what, is the, what does the Bible teach about the end times? So those are on YouTube. You can go check those out. Yeah, and eschatology 3.1 is coming soon, right? It can be. Yeah, what do you want me to teach about? Just how do we reconstruct the world once the government has fallen? Okay, I can do that. Yes. <laughs> I just made that up right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. Admin on the air. We should probably do one on like God's law. You should probably do a, like a series on God's no, law that do we're that. doing. Yeah, Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. I know that we... Tell us um, if you want to do that. Post that us. Yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. I I know we have some friends and, and you know, we, we obviously we did a podcast several weeks ago defending Joe Boot and Theonomy. And, and one of the questions we got about that one is that there were a lot of generalities, right? So, so when we talk about things like anybody who wants abortion laws is a theonomist, for example, right? We know what we mean by that, but we also know that there's a difference between sort of the reconstructionist system of theonomy and sort of the general equity theonomist. 
and there's some some shades in, in between there. So we can kind of talk about that, and I can kind of talk about what high-octane theonomy is. I think you and I would both classify ourselves as sort of general equity theonomists, yes. and, and that's what I would teach, is that there's, a, there's an abiding validity, that there are principles embedded within the law of God because it reflects his character that are everlasting, and we ought to extract those principles and apply them to our modern culture in such a way that we are not only ordering our families and our churches, but eventually also our nation on uh, the principles of God and his character. Yeah, I just think we should flesh that out for people so totally. they, that yeah. there is no miscommunication of what yeah. we're meaning. Because sometimes terms, people don't know what necessarily what the term, what yeah. we're actually That's meaning by the term. Um, let me ask you a quick question. This was not planned, but I'm asking it anyway. Both of us have a lot of meetings all yes, the time. that is true. What would you say are the big, the big three questions that you get asked at this time at, at the church, just in general as a pastor? What, do you, what are the questions you're getting asked? Well, this is going to be super boring right now because part of it is, you know, what's the story of how this church is growing the way it is? Number two, how do I become a member? <laughs> and and number, th- number three, how do I get into a small group? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> like those are the questions. So oh, I got nothing for you. Uh, no, the theology questions. Though. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I know I, mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we, I get asked a lot because we have a whole lot of people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. I get asked all the time about our view on God's sovereignty, right? I would say the doctrines of grace or Calvinism, right? People start kind of sniffing out our, our soteriology and understand that we believe in God's sovereignty and salvation. And that means election, predestination, um, what's often called Calvinism. I try not to use that term around the church because I don't want, I, my thing is sort of, you know, I don't like to give people things to Google. Because when you Google things, generally they find what they're looking for and if they're looking for refutation. So I get asked about Calvinism. I get asked about theonomy, right? Because that's the big bad reputation. Crossroads is a theonomic church and and don't go there. It's bad. And then I get asked about optimistic eschatology. Like right now, that's one of our distinctives. So not all of my elders, you know, by the way, are are post-millennial. We have people from all over the spectrum. Yet. (laughs) <laughs> but we, uh, but we are optimistic in our eschatology, which just means, and, and I often say this, you can read Kingdom Come by Sam Storms. You can read Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. You can read An Eschatology of Victory by Marcellus Kick. They are giving you the amillennial, premillennial, and postmillennial perspectives. And yet all three of them are optimistic about the fulfillment of the Great Commission and, and how widespread the gospel and the church can be in, in the culture. So I think there is a way of being optimistic no matter which you know millennial camp you fall into. Uh, but certainly people, the, the post-millennialism, especially when they start listening to the podcast, we're a little bit more overt here than we sometimes are at church in terms of our, our eschatological distinctives. So those are the big three for me. Same for you? Exact same three, yeah. except probably in that in order. Different- uh, no, in different order, but probably because they're going to go to you with the Calvinism questions more, probably more often. But like, I would say the number one question I get asked is explain uh, to me the eschatology. And okay. I'm like, Interesting. All right. Yeah. Here's what we, here's what Nate teaches. And I, cause I think they're just intimidated to talk to you about it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I, I think that because we've gathered people from kind of all corners of the County, and just the nature of it, because we stayed open during lockdowns and stuff, we generally got people who are, uh, I would use the term awake. Is that a fair term? Yeah. I, I've been using that term awake in terms of, they, I think they have their eyes open to what's going on in the world right now, that, the, that there are nefarious intentions by the government and things aren't going so well. But I think with a lot of people who have that mentality comes a sort of default dispensational premillennial eschatology that would see what's happening right now is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy that says we're entering a tribulation time. And so there's been a lot of people who have come because of our stance on all this, but then realize our eschatology is way off because we're not talking about the mark of the beast or, or end times or, or Jesus imminent, imminent return. I had a conversation, I won't name who it was. That was 
without saying it exactly how you said it, that's one of the things they brought up was like, what was interesting about coming to Crossroads is they expected almost like a militant rally around the the flag type culture at our church. And, And rather like what they've got was like, a refreshing outlook of the future. And it's like, that's like, whereas culture is painting this picture of like, everybody's going to die. The world is going to end. Governments are falling. We need one world government. The wars are coming. The post mill, like preaching that we're, that we're getting, even when you, though you've been going through like Daniel Genesis, like fairly difficult books, the optimistic outlook is been a refreshing thing yeah. that people, and I don't think like, I don't know if a lot of people have necessarily connected those two dots, but this gentleman had, and I was just like, I don't know where he stands. I don't actually know what his end game for eschatology was. I just think it's an interesting, like when we think about us and we think about Westminster and we think about um, a few of the other churches that have more optimistic outlooks of, uh, of the end times that a lot of those churches are the ones that are like handling this scenario that we're in the world better because we're, we understand that like it might be, it might be very dark right now, but there's a victory coming, you know yeah. what I mean? And Post I just, tenebrous locks, right? Yeah, After yeah. darkness, uh, light. I think that's actually a really good segue to something that we wanted to talk about. And that is that one of the things that we're noticing with a lot of the people who've come to our church and then a lot of allies that we've built in terms of just finding allies during these difficult times there's been a sort of sentiment among those who I'll, I'll keep using that term awake and I don't mean to insult anybody who who doesn't think that, that, you know, who thinks that the government has the best intentions or whatever. But those who are kind of seeing what's going on, there is a sort of sentiment that we need to get out of here. And that's not what we've been trying to cultivate at our church. I think our eschatology has something to do with that. But I think we should probably call this episode something along the lines of the case for not fleeing. There is a theology of fleeing, right? In Matthew 10, it talks about how if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Jesus is sending out his 70 by twos, and he sends them out, and he says to them, you know, if, if somebody persecutes you in one town, flee to the next. And, and he's saying, essentially, like, the mission is, is imminent. The, the mission is quick. You know, go in, spread the gospel as far and wide as you can. And if they persecute you in one town, don't keep bothering with that town. Move on to the next. And I think that there's, there's something about that mentality that right now, if you have a short-term view of the future, if you think that this is all coming down in the next couple decades or whatever, then it's easier to, I think, cultivate a theology of fleeing and saying, all right, we're beginning persecuted here. Let's go over here where we can thrive and spread the gospel more freely because, you know, the things are coming down around us. When you have a more optimistic outlook like we do, that we might still be in the stages of the early church, that there might be tens of thousands of years left in human history prior to the second advent of Christ, it helps you understand your place in the story. Our place in the story is not to, you know, gather as much people, you know, into a life preserver as the Titanic is going down. Our job is actually to start patching up the boat because we know, based on what we believe the promises of scripture say, that this boat ain't going to sink. Is that good? That's brilliant. I love yeah. it. Uh, I just came up with that analogy now. I'm kind of proud of myself. Write that one down. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll use that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and no insult here, no insult meant here, but we know of several people, um, some pastors, some congregants in our own congregation, some congregants in other congregations who are, some of them are going to the States. Some of them are going out West here in Canada. Some of them are going to other countries. Some of them are going to third world countries and buying lots of land. So let's just kind of go through some of those scenarios. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I want to be clear that we are like defining what we're meaning. Yeah. So 
what we're not saying is that it's wrong to like move. Like, yeah. you know I mean, like there are times where God yeah. calls We don't you. want anybody to move away from our church because we love our church yeah. and it sucks when people move say. out. Yeah. Um, like but, when the new dwarfs went out East, you know, we're not, they moved and that sucked, but there's a difference between moving and fleeing. Yeah. And I would say there's, there's the, the, the difference is in the, basically the thought process of the, of the move. It's not running right. away from what's going. It's going to build something there. So like this is a family, they listen, Terry and, and Kimberly, their thought for moving out east was, we want land. Yeah. We want to cultivate. Their, their the, kids are almost at that age of, of getting married and moving out. Exactly. And, and, and so they wanted a whole a base that they could build. And they're in the process of planning a church. They're in the process of doing a lot of things that we're, we're all for. You know yeah. what I mean? That I wouldn't say is running away. But we do know of people, Not I'm not saying in our church, but we just we hear the stories. People talk to us yep. about it. I had a gentleman call me who doesn't even come to our church and was like, help me understand how I moved to Iowa. And I'm like, one, why do you think I know anything about moving to Iowa? And then two, I'm like, why would you run to Iowa? You know what right. I mean? Like, what's the point? Like, yeah. and like, what we're saying is that we would be against the idea of fleeing what's the persecution that we're suffering in Canada. I'm fine to call it that as a means of a, just escapism of that idea rather than being on mission, which is what I would say the, the new dwarfs or what, or whatnot have been in terms of like, I'm moving to do something specifically for the kingdom. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I want to tell a story because I think this is a re- very relevant story. Our friend Mike Thiessen over at the Liberty Coalition recently had Eric Metaxas on his podcast. And Eric Metaxas, for those of you who don't know, wrote a biography of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just called Bonhoeffer, and it's a phenomenal book. And that interview is phenomenal. If you're not following the Liberty Coalition, it's the Liberty Dispatch is their, their podcast. It's phenomenal. But that interview in particular was phenomenal. And there's something in that biography, and I read that biography early on in the pandemic, and I think it really set me straight or, or sort of grounded me for what we're about to experience. And, and the interesting thing about Bonhoeffer, um, first of all, is he saw where things were going before other people did which I think is just interesting, right? Like we, we talked a little bit last week, actually we've talked quite a bit over the last several podcasts that we've done about sort of the antagonism that we've felt as, a, as uh, an open church sort of in the crosshairs connected to Joe and the Ezra Institute and all that kind of stuff um, with some of the unfair criticism. But it's interesting that like some of our heroes, Bunyan being one of them, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer being another, Martin Luther, obviously all kinds of people who saw things before other people and were insulted and villainized for it. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw where the government stuff was heading before the Nazi party was even actually risen to power. They weren't even vote, they hadn't even been elected yet when Dietrich Bonhoeffer started sounding the alarms as he saw the popularity rise and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so when the Nazi party did rise to power, World War II broke out and the rounding up into concentration camps started. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually had the opportunity to flee. And so he was one of the pastors who was rallying, I would say, the resistance to resist what was happening, to resist the government tyranny, to hide Jews, to all that kind of stuff, that this is the call of the church in this time. And of course, he was getting attacked by all of the compliant churches and all the compliant pastors. They were throwing Romans 13 at him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, they were. And so Bonhoeffer had an opportunity to flee to the States. He actually got on a plane and went to the States. And the biography records that immediately when his foot touched American soil, He felt the conviction of the spirit and he knew that he needed to return to his homeland. If he ever wanted a voice to minister to his people after, he needed to be there to suffer with them. That just really stuck out to me. And I think that there's a leadership principle there that I think those who desire to be leaders 
in the rebuilding of Canada, because I do think that we're on a precipice and I do think that there's a lot that's going to collapse over the next couple of years. Those who want to be leaders in Canada during that time need to stay and suffer through it. You can't kind of parachute out and then parachute back in and have the same level of influence. I think you surrender your influence when you leave. And so I don't think good people who love this country and want to be a part of the solution have the luxury of leaving now because they have an opportunity to. We apply this in almost every other walk of life. Lots of you guys listening aren't in ministry, but have worked in a company. And we all know what it's like when somebody who's hired from the outside to be our boss is like. Yeah. And it's like, no, they haven't done our job. They haven't lived our experience. We haven't shared experiences. Yeah. Whereas like when we raise leaders up from internal Generally, even if you maybe don't like the person, you can respect that they've done the job. You know what I mean? When they say do why, you can you can see it. And this is the same principle that we're applying to the to the churches. We also do this on missions. How often have you been speaking about somebody on missions? What's the ideal goal there? Is that we go on missions, we plan a church that gets populated by local people, and then we raise up pastors from that culture. I remember can I say the country you went to a couple of years? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Um you went to Iraq. What was the point of your mission trip to Iraq a few years ago was to equip pastors in Iraq to minister to their own people. It wasn't to send them out to other countries. It was yeah. because your effectiveness in Iraq is going to be limited to Absolutely. the fact that like you're not Iraqi. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. know what it's like to grow up in that. In that uh, and some of the stories of the men that we trained for ministry and that we were, we were there to live with and train and all that are men who have incredible testimonies of, of what they suffered uh, under ISIS regime and, and what they what they suffered with as Sunni Muslims before they converted to Christianity and even what they suffered uh, as or how they suffered as Christians, you know, in a Muslim country. And so their testimony is far more powerful to their people because they were there to suffer through all of the hardship that they're going to apply the gospel to, right? I think that's sort of the thing is we would just say, and you know what, not everybody will be called to the same things. But I do think that what the world, what Canada, I'll say what Canada needs right now is for faithful Christians to dig in, build Christian communities that will still be standing when the the house of cards that is our nation and the secular humanism that is built upon comes crumbling down. We can't go to other countries, invest in other countries, and be ready to send missionaries back to Canada because you're going into that other country as an outsider. Like you just, you surrender. You know how if you move companies, there's always that, that idea like, yeah, yeah, you might be going to a better situation, but you surrender all your seniority, right? And there's this idea like you, you, you can go down to the States and, and we'll get to in a second some practical reasons why I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea either. But you can go down to the States, but you're never, you're not going to have the influence there that you had here. And you're not going to have the voice here that you did when you left, when you come back. And so I just think that people, Christians need to think long and hard about where they're called, where they're called to dig in and where they're called to do ministry. And I know I'm a parent of, of young kids. I know that when the world gets dark, our first instinct is to protect our children. And I do think that we're called to protect our children. But I do also think that God calls families to live in hard places. And I think that we need to maybe just alter our expectations for what our kids' futures might look like. 
we might not be raising our kids to become successful professionals who can, you know, become members of a good church and tithe and, and raise kids and have a pool and, you know, 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. We might be raising kids who are going to be doing church the majority of their lives underground. We may be raising kids who are going to be part of resistances like that. How weird is it for us to say that? We might be training up our kids who are going to fight for the right for Christian education and private health care because this some of this stuff needs to get overturned and turned around. And so we're just raising different kinds of kids than our parents raised. Absolutely. John Piper has a famous sermon, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. And there's, mm-hmm. the, there's a few things that stick out to, rec- I recommend listening to him if you haven't, but there's a few things that stick out in that sermon. That, but the one that always just comes to my mind, you kind of hit on it there, is that like to have an impact in our world, you don't have to be super educated. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be mastered by one thing and that's the gospel mm-hmm. um, and live a life that tries to inform that. So I think the, one of the practical implications of what we're talking about today would be Let's start focusing that on our on our kids. Let's think about like we don't need them to be like you said, two point five kids, picket fence, doctor of this, all the money in the world. What we need them to be is mastered by Christ, and yeah. that might mean that they become plumbers, they might become farmers, they might be underground pastors, pastors. You know what I mean? At, yeah. at, at churches, local missionaries, missionaries. Um, like local missionaries, exactly. But that is success. That's not a tra- that's, that's not right. a that's not a wasted life. That's our goal. It's different for us. Our parents' vision for our futures was much, much different than our vision for our, our kids. As you, you say this all the time, parents, it's it, like right now we're like, don't bemoan the dragon that you're raising your little dragon slayers to have to slay. We're fighting our own demons, but like they're going to be in a culture that's 20 years further down this line. And so like, what is the dragons that they're going to have to slice? We need to prepare them for that. That's right. It's an altered Doug Wilson quote, but that's the idea is like, don't lament that the world has dragons when you're raising dragon slayers, right? They need something to kill and they need to be raised to be the men and women who can kill it. And I think that we are to follow and imitate Christ, who is the great dragon slayer, right? And so he delivered the knockout punch. He's, he cut the head off the dragon at Calvary. But there are all kinds of lesser dragons that we're now released into the world to go and destroy. And so what we're looking for as Christians is, is totally different. And, and here's a couple things I would just say practically for people, because I've heard things are difficult and especially when there was a lot of possibility of mandates um, in terms of mandating the vaccine for children and stuff. I know there are a lot of parents who are looking to flee at that time. Truth is, all this stuff could come back or other things could come back that are worse. You know, that is the reality. Yeah, the 18th wave is coming. However, it's, it's bigger and stronger. It's bigger. And, but I guess here's the thing that I've said to people practically is, you know, you can flee to the states. And I think that most of the states, even some of the more conservative states right now, are only a few years behind us. The U.S. was delayed a little bit because of the presidency of Donald Trump. But I think um, under Biden and Harris and probably Sooner rather than later, it'll just be Harris. I think that it's moving in the same direction. What's far more important than where you are is who you're standing beside. Amen. And so I think that the idea that that people would leave a good church community full of like-minded believers with good biblical teaching and, and strong, courageous elders and men and women who are pointing them in the right direction and go off to and leave that right now, I just, I don't think it's wise. And don't get me wrong. Again, there are reasons why some people are going other places, but I would say put the community that you're going to at the forefront of your, of your decision-making. Finding the Christian family that you're going to do life with. So like your, your 
fellowship of believers, that's more important than insulating your own nuclear family. Truth is, that's one family alone in a community that you don't know anybody. Whereas like together, we're stronger. You know what I mean? Like there's, it sounds very like militant, but like it's easier for me to stand firm when I'm standing beside you, when I'm standing beside 10 other families that are all doing the same thing because we, it's mutual encouragement, right? It's also like support in those times because like the truth is I could walk in tomorrow and my job's gone. If I'm living in a town that like I've got a job in in a factory or whatever out east or out west or something and I lose my job, who do I have with me, right? Like, so just very practically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to do that. Um, but also too, like, again, it's the, it's the refocused priority, right? So what's more important, uh, uh, being in a healthy church community or being healthy and hidden away out of, out of the mandates? They're coming everywhere. So we need to start getting our focus right on the local church and also stop. Let's like, we need to stop thinking that we're the consumers of the local, of the local church, right? Like it's not about what the church gives me. It's about what I can give back. The idea of the the fleeing culture from the from the Christians, and I'm speaking specifically to the Christians now, is a very consumerist like mm-hmm. lifestyle. Like the mandates are crappy. I'm leaving because I want my life to be better or easier. It, or easier is probably a better way to say that, right? I want my life to be easier, rather than being like, well, what can I do in my community? to make everybody else's life easier. Or even what can I do in my community now to make the next generation of this in this neighborhood better? That's the idea is like, when was the best time to plant a tree a hundred years ago, right? Like, and so- Well, Joe Boot says, the sign of Christian maturity is being willing to plant a tree that you'll never sit under the shade of, right? Absolutely. I think that that's the sort of thing that we've lost is if you are here, God has called you here, I think, unless it's very specific that he's calling you to leave. But I think if you are here, then what you are called to do is is live through the time in which God's placed you. God does not make mistakes. God is sovereign. He has equipped you and he has strengthened you and he has given you the gifts and the abilities that you have to be the Christian who lives in this place at this time. One of the things that I think about often, because you know, there are conversations to be had about, you know, those with kids and what do you do to protect those kids and everything. And, you know, one of the things, and I I can't fathom doing this, but that's also because God hasn't given me the grace that he gave John Bunyan at the time. But John Bunyan, as many of us know, was imprisoned. He was imprisoned for not submitting to the state in terms of the registration of his church and his gathering Mm -hmm. and for uh, refusing to use the Book of Common Prayer in his liturgy. He didn't believe that the Church of England had the right to tell them how to worship, when to worship, or who can worship. And so he refused the state, resisted the state, and he was put in jail for it. What's interesting that a lot of people don't know, he was in in prison for 12 years. And he wrote a couple of great books in prison, including Pilgrim's Progress, which he's well known for, including um, All Things for Good, which is a a great book of his, including um, The Antichrist and His Ruin, which is a, a phenomenal dissertation on the government that becomes an antichrist. But all that to say, in those 12 years, there were several times when the powers that be brought his family to him in prison and told him that he, if he would just agree to not preach and gather the people together illegally anymore, that he'd be let out and be able to be with his family. And his response was, though I love my family, I love my Lord more. 
And that was his response. And I, I don't have the grace for that. But the reality is, is that there are times maybe, and I'm just talking to some of the pastors right now. I know Bill C4 is out there. I know Bill C10. I know some of these censorship bills and these things that carry prison time and these things that threaten to ruin your ministry are out there. I would just say maybe the best thing that you can do is be murdered in front of your children. Maybe one of the best things you can do is be imprisoned and your children see that you love Christ more than your family. And I don't say any of that lightly because I get that I'm talking to myself here and I'm a guy who doesn't have the grace to say that I could do that right now. But I do believe that God's grace would be sufficient in the time. So maybe, maybe we need to be sufficient with the allotment that God has given to us. And I get it. We're not talking to everybody here. We're firing shotguns here. But I think there are some people who need to think twice about why they want to flee and what the motivating factors are because sometimes I think God calls us to stay in really hard situations where there's going to be suffering and he's having us suffer so that we can build the kingdom in hard places. That's how I'm thinking through this time right now. Yeah, amen. I think what you said there was spot on, even a bit hard to listen to at, at one point, just because you're thinking about like, you know, I know your kids too, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, what would that be like? But I'm thinking about the idea of like, what you said was God doesn't make mistakes. That means he's ordained us to be the Christians that live in Canada, live in the United States during these times. He hasn't goofed up by having us be the people who follow him and mm-hmm. lead churches during this time, which means for everybody who isn't in ministry listening, God hasn't made a mistake that you're the person who's living in your neighborhood with your group of friends at your workplace right now with all of the stuff that's going yeah. on. You can take heart and courage and boldness in the idea that you're exactly where God has ordained you to be. That's you know right. what I mean? Like, obviously there's caveats upon yeah. caveats of all of and, this, but. And I would just say to say it really succinctly as we end here, that before the foundation of the world, God ordained that you would be exactly where you are while the world is falling apart around you. And he's calling you to build the kingdom where you are. Amen. Amen.